Hey up, how's it going? It's Matt, you listen to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast and I've got my game turned up too loud, sorry about that. It's the show where I try and find the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours as you probably know by now. Thanks for tuning in, hope you enjoy this episode with Alex Nost. My guest, that is how you pronounce it by the way, I'll chat with him. My guest for this week, who is definitely one of the most polarizing figures in modern surfing i don't think you can argue with that really it's the old profit or dead loss conundrum this and i guess where you stand on alex says a lot about how you see surfing in general you know on the one hand you've got what you might term the agnostics as ben mundy and paul evans amusingly termed it on a recent episode of the wavelength podcast people who doff their cap to his undeniable talent but think he's the surfing embodiment of the emperor's new clothes incidentally i don't know if you've ever read that recently but my god that is an absolutely incredibly prescient short story when you actually read it anyway like i was saying the surfing embodiment of the emperor's new clothes an arty farty example of hipster surfing who is literally all style and no substance That's in the red corner. In the blue corner, you've got those for whom he's basically the most stylish surfer around and a welcome antidote to the increasingly rote forms of expression that characterise modern surfing. And I guess the intriguing thing about Alex is, as with all great characters, it's very difficult to discern how seriously he takes himself and whether or not he's in on the joke, if indeed it is a joke. And that isn't really helped by his, shall we say, enigmatic presence on social media and through his various films, you know, where he's prone to gnomic utterances and a photographic style that is simultaneously shallow and or deep man, depending on your viewpoint. It's an easy persona to send up as the legends at Rinse Magazine on Instagram have done to great effect. And having seen his latest film, Tamadonna, will continue to be so. In the lead up to this one, I actually asked a few mates who knew know way more about surfing than I do for their opinion. And um, one of them is a pretty renowned surf journalist. I'm not going to say what his name is, but he said, ugly style, controversial, but one of the few pros who can claim to have their own style. If you consider surfing an expression of your unique self more than a sport, he's undoubtedly one of the greats. In conclusion, I find his surfing nearly unwatchable, but I also find it miraculous that he's developed a completely unique and inimitable style in an age of stylistic convergence and standardization it's as close to art as i think a person can get within the medium of wave riding holy shit eh um to which i might add that line about if his surfing is an expression of his unique self and not a pose which is in a nutshell the nost conundrum as ever your humble correspondent tried to keep an open mind going into this one i'll be back at the end um, but in the meantime here it is me and alex nost enjoy yes we were uh arrived two days ago wasn't that long of a journey seven six hour flight from new york i happened to be there okay so it's quite convenient actually what was going on in new york they had the vans duct tape mm. longboard surf contest oh yeah it was at rockaway wasn't it yeah at rockaway beach yeah. and uh, uh they did a screening of the film that we're gonna see tonight 
and I caught up with some friends, spent a few extra days there. So. Yeah. How is that event? Is that good? What is it? I mean, the, the duct tape thing, I guess event might be event overplaying it a little bit, but... It's great. I think what they do is interesting. They always introduce new upcoming surfers who kind of forego in the tradition of what it's been doing for the past 10 years, but also are new faces, which is... Even though it's invitational, it's becoming less and less insensuous. You know, like, um, there's always a couple new faces, and usually they do quite well. So yeah. between that and um, the endurance aspect of there being a event every night with open bar <laughs> and 6 a.m. <laughs> shuttles to the beach, it's a, yeah, kind of becomes this uh, National Lampoon summer camp type. Sounds like a, an event. Yeah, it's an event. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it all back. Yeah, you got the free bar every night and got to be somewhere. That kind of counts, doesn't it? Yeah. Basically. It's good, though. We got, we got quite fortunate. The waves are um, pretty good, you know, for these coasts. It's hot and cold there, and uh, it depends mostly on weather and storm systems. Um, actually, the day I had to leave to come here, it was really, really good. Right. Always <laughs> always the way. But, uh, yeah, that's that's how it goes. Yeah. So you're gonna show your film tonight. We're at the obviously at the London Surf Film Festival, and you're here to kind of present the film, right? Tam Madonna. Yeah, the film film will be playing tonight. It's already on the the internet, but yeah. I think people become so accustomed to looking at something on a two two and two by four inch screen or however big your iPhone is now. They're quite. Did they go back down? They went. They went up again. Actually, they went up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still on the same thing that I've had for seven, about eight, nine, ten, six years now. So, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, it's always nice to see something on a big screen with a significant sound system. I haven't seen it in a theater yet. So, oh really? Okay. Yeah, maybe it'll maybe it'll look better or worse. Yeah. Find out. <laughs> so you kind of produced it, directed it, did the music, put the whole thing together. Is that that's right. I yeah. mean, yeah. So, um, how long did that take? I'd say for for a film it didn't take that incredibly long. Um I think we did four four trips for it. Some were one week and some were a month long. Uh I'd say all in all, from start to finish, I could be off here ten months. and that included the editing and the making the music and and uh coming up with the cover art and sending it out and it getting on getting um getting on with it so it was it wasn't too bad it was quite seamless i think partially in due to the fact um that i was given complete control you know yeah so i was going to ask you about that were they pretty happy to just give you some budget and and say right get on with it cuz you clearly you know you can see that it, it, you were kind of given the responsibility to put it all together creatively when you watch it so were they, was it a case of like, there you go, see you in 10 months, see what you come back with? I think there's less pressure, something about this generation and where where surf, surf films have gotten. Um, I've worked on several projects, you know, where the, the director's taking a year to two or three years to make their films. Most trips I go on are... Um, in conjunction with endorsement deals, you know, sponsorships. And that'll usually consist of going on one trip 
and whatever you get is what you get and it'll become a two minute video Vimeo piece. Yeah. So from the hip kind of vibe is sort of the norm these days. I mean, aside from working on a big part and if you're a professional skateboarder or a big wave surfer or, um, something like that, we kind of just played, played as it lays on these trips. So, uh, the convenient thing about this particular project is, uh, it's more of a biopic or a, a sort of a, a, a collage of vignettes of, of the trip. So there was no real goal other than just making it what it is. Right. Kind of a, a single gestural stroke, you know, um, easier, more like a, a painting or making an album or something like that. Impressionistic yeah. almost. Right. Is that what the lines at the start are about then? Because there's a little bit of dialogue with you at the start, right, where you you kind of like lay out the premise of the film almost. Is that is that kind of where that's coming from? This like impressionistic idea that you're talking about? I feel that that, that was kind of an aftermath. Um, wasn't necessarily the mantra of the film. Most of it worked in reverse, um, this film. For example while I was filming in France for the French section, the waves were pretty bad, but I had this idea to do a live performance with Leanne and one in which was completely improv. So we didn't discuss what we were playing. <laughs> we didn't talk to each other about what tuning we were in. Right. Wow. Uh, okay. Uh, so anything like that. And proper no wave. It was, uh, yeah. Or, well, um, I'd seen her perform once before. Yeah. And it was, I was obviously uh, impressed by her by her confidence. I was going to say that's a lot of trust as well, right? To actually kind of um, go to that. Well, it it kind of can go. It couldn't go wrong because it was more like a, a speaker's a, a conversation, a, and it was in public, so that made it uh, nerve wracking. And I feel yeah. like when your nerves are being racked, kind of makes for a, a, a great performance or at least something that uh yeah like you said <laughs> impressionistic so it, for her and I to play and do it do it as a as a performance live in an art gallery while we were staying there we just recorded that and that that became the soundtrack and ah uh, right I was gonna I ask, just, okay right so I just was, edited the movie to that yeah so performance. you ah so you did it that way so you did the you right because that was one of the questions I was going to have if you did the the edit and then play to it because obviously I knew that you guys had done the music but it was actually the other way so you did the performance and then did the edit to that mm -hmm. right so did you played with her before no never we never played together um never really even talked about music and so <laughs> with her I just I could tell that she was far more competent in the traditional sense of making music than I was um However, I was kind of in a place, as you get older, you, you kind of pick up some things along the way. And I conceptually thought about it as just being a success no matter what the outcome was. I, I don't look at music too much anymore as being traditional or being objective, more subjective. Right. And you carry that over in in how you write it and perform it these days you you don't particularly worry about outcome it's more about the 
the the performative aspect of it more so as time you know surpasses intent the true form sort of emerges and and i mean what i mean by that is every single time i've tried to make a a song or an album you're always in the studio and you're always talking to some engineer or (laughs) your bandmate about how it sounded in the demo and you're always kind of chasing the demo so or the live performance or something or a practice it's it's original conception yeah well that's why i was interested because i play music and have played in bands my whole life and first thing i was going to say is the thought of the performance that you and leanne did kind of fills me with terror in a lot of ways um because of um you know like you say traditionally there's like a way of doing it which is rehearsing and being drilled and like knowing what you're going to do and like that you know kind of being confident in what the outcome's going to be but also yeah you know th- th- a lot of it is about like you say when you're in your studio whatever it's about trying to like kind of capture this one thing like that that might have been in the past or it might be somewhere and it's often not that spontaneous is it it just becomes so really emotional and you start when you do something without hesitation uh it's going to come out successful whether whether or not certain people consider it terrible i mean that's a I mean really confident that is, that's a really confident thing though well you at least it is what it is and it's not what it wasn't you know what i mean yeah i do know what you mean but i think that's um that's an admirable stance on it i mean that's what art's supposed to be though right it's supposed to be like a you know like a a snapshot of a of a moment or of an emotion and if you but often you do get hung up on like this is it any good? <laughs> Do people like it? Kind of thing, you know? Yeah, that's the first rule. Never give a fuck what someone else thinks. If if you can do it without hesitation, you know, um, maybe you could have your insecurity issues later on. But if you if you do it without hesitation, and you're kind of using that primal source of, um, I like uh, that that just initial gestural stroke, and you're not you're doing it without. I don't know. I just feel <laughs> that's a better way personally for me to go about it. Uh, especially if you're doing something in the public eye all the time. It's uh, when you start start paying too much to that, to that and people's response, it could uh, could not not only affect you in your social life, but affect you uh, and jeopardize your your ability to create. You know, or your or your purpose spoken like a man who's um read his own comment sections a few times maybe Uh, (laughs) it's you know i probably don't like them or i don't appreciate what their interests are so it almost is a badge of honor you know yeah sure but do you have you had to kind of is that a confidence that you've learned or have you have you kind of always had that or have you have you as you because you mentioned you said as you got older earlier which you know definitely your thoughts on this change as you get older and you know there's there's a confidence that comes with getting older for me personally anyway you definitely give less of a fuck basically about this kind of idea of what other people think but when you're younger that's that's hard especially when you try to make music or you know do anything creative really like it can be very it can be difficult to to have that kind of like actually i'm just gonna do what i want and you know fuck off basically well when you're young you've got one thing going for you which is which is attitude you know when you're experimenting or devoting your life to how you said you're always into music or if you're into painting or 
you're into skateboarding, you're into surfing, you do it with a lot of attitude. You have a you have an attitude problem, you got an attitude solution. And I feel as you get to a point where you have to look back at that and sometimes you realize who is the solution, sometimes the problem. And once you get past maybe that moment and you could realize uh, you were never anybody else's to begin with, you know? Uh, and some people buckle under the pressure, but it's a, it's a, it's a double-sided, um, double-sided mirror. Is that what they call it? In inter- interrogations, you know, they can see you, but you can't see them if you're in the public eye. So you just kind of have to That's imagine. A good, it's a good metaphor. You gotta have to imagine what they look like on the other side and pretend it's just, not there. Uh, you just tell the truth. Yeah. Right. Um, so do you think was with the whole Tamadonna project? Do you, do you, do you feel like you've done that? Are you happy with that? Do you, you know? Yeah, it was it was easy. Um, there was no emotional struggle. You didn't have to trust another artist. Although I love I love working in that environment. However, that can be very emotional because you're you're trying to be sympathetic to someone else's vision. Where here it was not a lot not a lot of going back. You know, maybe to cut it down in time. Um, but when it came to color corrections or music or trips or places, it was, uh, wasn't, it wasn't hard. It was just slapping paint on the, on the, on the wall sort of thing. Is there an, would you say there's like an aesthetic to what you do? Whether it's like the photography, like visually, I mean, cause you, you know, your photography, the films, the projects, it seems to be like a visual aesthetic that I can, discern am i imagining that is that no i think um yeah there's there's certain people out there that can be competent enough about what they're doing to to be able to express it through words and that's not necessarily my strong point i just i feel like if i'm if i'm creating this and i'm squirming around until something makes me uh, feel at ease with it that's kind of the that's kind of my strong point in in working on working in the arts you know which is like i uh i prefer to work in that so that's where you find your expression basically with this kind of creative work whether it's photography music or like the projects like then that's mm. that's how you can Comfort, Ex- comfort express it it's it's not about expressing it's not like i'm waking up in the morning and <laughs> saying i have this thing i need to get out into the world or you know i'm no I'm no philosopher um however it's more of looking at something and manipulating it to it's comfortable or until it's gratifying you feel a sense of gratification, you know, whether, and, and usually it has to do with composition or attitude or something like that, piece of the puzzle. So um, are you still playing music in bands? Like, because obviously that's one of the things you've been doing for, um, you know, you, you 
associated with a couple of bands that you've been in like you've done like that quite traditional sort of thing are you still doing that or are you yeah are you still approaching it in more the way that you did with Liam with this project um no I, I still play um in a, in a group um Tomorrow's Tulips I've been doing that for I don't know maybe six seven records something like that yeah but uh it it's it's always changing it's um we have the luxury of not really being a successful in like preconceived notions you know we're, we're not on a label that's trying to get us to be on the radio or not trying to um make our fans happy because we don't it's it's um we're we live in a a very small subculture of the music world i won't say music industry but the music world where we're kind of in complete control and when i say we i, I mostly mean ford archibald and myself because we we can we're, we're the group um essentially and we always just kind of go wherever we want with it, whether it's improv, whether it's practice, whether it's a song he makes, song I make, one we do together. Um, and it just, it, it keeps it exciting, you know, whether we're recording it at home on an iPhone or a four track or in a, a studio. Um, it, it's much the same. We don't, we don't have any constrictions we, or restrictions. That's quite a nice liberating thing though, isn't it? Just to be able to kind of please yourself in that way that's that's something that's kind of i feel like of the times you know yeah did you ever have that kind of when you were younger we we driven by the sort of traditional idea of success in music you know was mm, I, not initially um but of course if you get signed to a label and they're yeah. trying to and and you know someone's telling you you're going to be successful at something that you get kind of giddy at a young age and yeah quite hard um, not to be like oh right okay well if we do yeah, this then you know maybe maybe it could happen and but he, eventually we were just sitting in a room with a bunch of people that i don't even know telling us asking us why the bass sounds like this or if they get like everyone pulling apart this record that they're paying you, for where's the singles can you give us a single yeah and it was really I, and I was like, oh, okay, we got to listen to these people. These people know what's up. This is their <laughs> world. And in retrospect, I listened to some of that music. And I'm like, what the fuck did we listen to that lady for? <laughs> so now we don't have any... Um, we put out music on Burger Records, and they have an open mind. You know, We could yeah. throw spoons against a dartboard and record <laughs> it, and they'd probably think it's groovy. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. A bit of creative liberation in that, isn't there? So what were you when you were when you were a kid? Were were you into like because I can kind of like see a sort of British influence, like a psych influence, like a shoegazy kind of thing. Was that something that you grew up with? That kind of that kind of scene. What were you, what were you listening to when you were a kid? What kind of got you stoked like uh, early on? I had a kind of jumped around and I mean, if you're talking about musical taste, is that what yeah, exactly, yeah, just uh, like where it came from, really, because it's pretty distinct, you know. The well, when I was quite young. I uh, I would go to Las Vegas with um, my grandmother and my parents. It was like a family thing. She was a gambler. And there was um, a diner, I think, in the Stardust Hotel. And it was a 50s music, you know, 50s, 50s, early 60s type diner. Right. This was when I was really young. What, like classic rock and roll sort of? Yeah. Yeah. And from that... I would go home and I would watch Happy Days and then there'd be the classics channel where it'd be Jailhouse Rock. So it was it was bizarre because I kind of grew up on... on I mean, I, I loved that. You know, I sat on the couch and watched that and I'm talking real young, you know, 12, 13, 
12 or something. Yeah. And then I started going to the beach with my dad. My dad's listening to like Talking Heads and Bob Dylan and um, what else does he love? I feel like he always listened to talk, uh, Neil Young, things like that. Yeah, the classics. So that was just my memories of my dad just singing every word. And that that was kind of my introduction. And that time there was kind of terrible music. I, I feel like I didn't. All the surfer kids that I knew that I went to school with and wasn't like whatever was in the Taylor Steele surf movies. And I just, the pop punk stuff I didn't like. Um, like the... Um, like, all the shit that was probably from my hometown. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Gutter mouth, Pennywise, I should know that. T- all that stuff. Yeah, Pennywise. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, of. I hated yeah. that stuff. So that, what's that label? Yeah, because it was a label, wasn't there? With like Offspring, Pennywise. It was like basically the like all the skate films, all the surf films, like all had that kind of soundtrack. Green, yeah, early Green Day as well, kind of stuff. I think by the time I got old enough, Dookie came out. I think I had an older cousin that liked that, and I was. Like, all right, welcome to paradise. That's cool. <laughs> but the, but the really whiny shit before that, I was I was over and. Which is actually quite funny being in, you know, being a freshman in high school and wanting to like listen to Neil Young or something. And everyone else was kind of in on a different trip. Right. And I remember once like, being well, embarrassed this, about it. You know what I mean? What's this weird shit that Alex is listening to? Right. Yeah, I've never played it for them. But yeah, who's, I, this, who's this guy, Neil Young? And then, um, so I went from, I kind of almost had this hyper, um, uh, almost through the decades sort of crash course by coincidence you know 50 right. stuff then into 60 stuff to my dad and then when I got into skateboarding um, it was, there was a scene in Orange County where all the skateboarders um, like uh, were in the 70s punk shit you know yeah. so I was kind of thrust into this like well like so Dead Kennedy's kind of mm, no more like Richard Hell and the Voidoids right like New York uh, sort of yeah yeah, yeah. And, um, Buzzcocks, you know, yeah. st- stuff like that. And so that's what all those skateboarder guys were listening to. Mike Lorman and Grasso and uh, Ricky Barnes. Uh, there was just this scene. I would I ended up hanging out with these guys that were quite older than I. And, you know, peg pants and yeah. jean jackets and all that shit. Uh, so that was kind of the next little phase. You know, right. And, uh, and then moving past that and starting a band, um, I think it was also really influence of all those things but as well as something cute and easy like pete happening you know where yeah yeah i sure. can do that <laughs> i can yeah. i was very liberating and uh do you say beat happening yeah yeah, yeah like that know, k records thing yeah yeah so you could yeah, yeah. like it, the, the idea that anyone could do it um yeah like a real sort of cutesy diy thing yeah, yeah. You, 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 I, you, know. you know that back record that he did with them yeah one, one foot, foot in the, the grave, grave. Yeah. i mean i remember listening to that and and being like yeah like wow okay this is really simple really like j- accessible and when you're trying to kid like try to write music or whatever it's yeah it's empowering to it's see very empowering s- it's about attitude and sensibility and, and there's a bit bit of melody in there as well which yeah. i always personally quite liked because you know yeah okay so did you did you want to write music or just play it from the start because there's a difference right you know you um, can i you know i initially when i started playing in um First group I was in Japanese Motors with my best friend Nolan. He played guitar, right? But he was really shy. He didn't want to sing, so I was like, "I'll be the singer." And then after we kind of wrote our first record, I don't know if it was just writer's block or not knowing where to navigate. And I'd kind of started writing more lyrics and lyrics, and but no music to go to. So right, 
that's kind of when I picked up a, a guitar and, and started kind of trying to write. And I remember I tried guitar lessons like when I was like 13 or 14 and I quit or something because my fingers hurt. <laughs> but um, then once I started to really kind of t- try to use use those lyrics or use those words or like whatever it was. So it's like a tool to write then basically. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of more so like um, someone would try to teach me write a song that already existed. Yeah. Oh, you should learn this song. It's three chords. It's easy. Yeah. I would get to the first chord and probably be like, well, instead of learning those other two chords, I'll just make my own song with this chord. Yeah. Sort of vibe. Um, so you weren't the guy at the parties like, hey, everyone, I'm going to play about a girl. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I even know one. Yeah. One cover. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, it's, so were you a lyric guy? You like wrote, when you wrote songs initially, you were like writing lyrics and that was the song kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I would listen to what no one had written. I'd write some words. Yeah. Usually them, you know, pretty, they weren't great then. Um, but uh, now it's kind of one, it, it bounces back and forth. It's not, actually now it's probably the other way around. Now it's probably writing the music and then putting words to it. Right. Kind of slam dance poetry sort of uh, mostly word words you know just impulsive not, yeah not so it was not not so uh, designer or whatever yeah well it's interesting to hear it because one of the I've interviewed a lot of people for this thing and like that exposure to music early on whether it's you like skate you know like surf films skate films whatever all like those influences like really formative isn't it really like does kind of influence like the way that you view these things and like the way you view creativity and it's like important years those definitely so is that kind of at the time when you're surfing were you getting serious about surfing as well when this is going on when you were a kid yeah i mean when you're young when you're young like that you have so much energy you know so surf in the morning maybe like play music or hang out with friends listening to music at low tide and then surfing again and skating at the skate park at night and you know or whatever it was um so it was all happening simultaneously and that that was kind of cool because it gave you you gave you a soundtrack and something to something to kind of juxtapose situations you know even though I was riding a longboard and hanging out you know, I'm <laughs> listening to kind of different music, or I was hanging out um, other people that were in, interested in other things, and kind of broadens your broadens your horizons and makes it a little less clicky. You know, like don't don't mix this with this, this with this, which was which is kind of very uh, very much so where I grew up. You know, Orange County. If you think about Orange County. And, uh, there are rules. There are. <laughs> oh, it's just like it just like um, a lot of privilege, a lot of like I don't know, whatever it was. But it's uh, it's not really like that anymore. I feel like I feel like you mean what you think has changed? Yeah, I'm not I'm not too too into social media, but I definitely think there's a there's people are um, introduced to a, a wider variety of information, you know? Yeah. Um, which is something that 
can be bad but also good you yeah know, it can be healthy for sure yeah just, you know you're not you're mix, you, you're mixing a little bit more than yeah well there's a big wide world out there yeah. and you know you can, you get to see it every day now yeah and you get the information kind of i mean you get to choose what you see what you see i mean aside from like algorithms building but at least yeah that's, you, uh, that's another podcast isn't it, it at least there's not being filt- filtered so much information through the third person um, yeah party of what what should be happening and what shouldn't you could just go out reach out and grab that and like rub it on your face yeah yeah bathe in <laughs> it and shit on it or whatever else you want to do <laughs> so when you say like an orange county has changed you mean in in general or in surfing mm, i mean there's 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 still like um obviously in surfing you know, there's a lot of kids that don't go to school whose parents think they're the next kelly slater or whatever like that but there's also really cool kids that I mean, I know so many great shapers, you know, that build beautiful surfboards that are their, that's totally their own trip. I know so many cool kids that are in bands. And when I mean cool, I mean not like cool, they're going to, you know, be on the cover of a magazine. I mean, cool, they have these natural impulses. Yeah, they just do to, what they to do. To do it for fun. And, yeah. and it's it creates for a really stimulated environment, yeah. you know? So many of, I mean, all the surfer kids at Santa have bands, you know, and they and they're great. They're they're better than fucking anything you're gonna hear on the radio, really. Yeah. Um, and it's because it's them, and it's like totally unhinged radicalism. Like, and I feel like it's a it's a generative kind of rebirth of of empowerment, um, male, female, and artistic or capitalistic or whatever at least it's a you know it, it's exciting for me to look at um which is probably painful for others but i i like <laughs> why'd you say that well, the, the traditional sense of of routing you know yeah isn't it doesn't really apply you know in a way right so when you were growing up was it did you you talked about like having a different sensibility in terms of music. Was that similar with surfing when you were young? Cause obviously, you know, you longboarded from when you were a kid and like, did, was, was it a similar thing? Did you kind of, we always kind of following your own path, like from a pretty early age. I think I was following my dad and his friends path initially, you know, like those were the guys that took me to the beach. They rode longboards. They, so that's what you did. And yeah. And they had a good time, you know, they were all friends and they were in high school and they all surfed uh, Santa on the weekends and uh, Newport on the weekdays and uh, meeting some of the older shapers, you know, um, like Mark Martinson, Robert August. They they were kids. They were childlike still in their, you know, 50s and 60s yeah. in the sense that this was their crew. This is their jokes. This was their family. This was their, their own empowerment where... Um, it was all, it was kind of, a, a, you know, lost boys situation as opposed um, to going to school and going to surf team where it was highly the opposite, where it was okay. ego and yeah, sure. trends. And so it was, it was different um, for sure uh, initially, you know, and then once I got my license in independence, um, it was still really exciting because growing up riding a longboard, um, there was only so many in each surf club. Um, they have surf clubs there. So 
it was normal to go down to San Clemente and or surf with all the Doheny kids or sorry, San Juan, Dana Point. And they were in a surf club. There was probably about six kids that were who had parents that were in that club. Right. Go to Malibu, same thing. Go to Santa Cruz. So you'd kind of go back and forth on the whole coastline in these club coalition events. They would call them, and they were kind of like they were kind of like the the proto duct tapes, you know, and we were yeah, like, sure. except we were little kids eating yeah. donuts. So there was something really cool about that. And eventually it synchronized with, um, all those same kids, maybe starting bands or, or getting into music, music or painting or, uh, photography. And it kind of just branched out from this, this tiny little seed, you know, that, that kind of like was being blown, blown back and forth for this kind of cross pollinate, pollinate, pollination. Yeah. Right. So it was kind of that from the start. Yeah. We're out there. This is right place, right time to just witness something cool. Yeah. Um, everyone, I think everyone feels that in their own hyper bubble, you know, but it was just nice to see, to see it stem out. Sounds like a nice bubble. Like a stimulating, you know, like a good, a good, a good starting point to see that, mm. to give you the, you know, the possibilities that you could follow. Looking back, yeah, but at the time it just... It's just what you did. It wasn't like anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was like, fuck, I don't, I don't, my towel's wet, I can't <laughs> fucking towel change <laughs> and it's fucking cold and I want a donut or something, you know? Yeah, of course, yeah. Which is much like any young surfers life so it kind of unifies i guess why everyone goes surfing you know because there's a nice rush yeah did you did you ever have like a shortboarding phase when you were a kid did you ever sort of think yeah. about going down that path oh i mean i it's i, I, mean, I think after my introduction to me that didn't length of a board didn't like matter i wasn't i mean i i did it i i i still do it in a sense but i don't look at surfing as board length so much no i don't really mean it in that sense i more mean like when you're a kid and you start to because you know you must have got to a point where you realize you were talented and you could you could prop, perhaps pursue it i'm more meaning that you know because you know like in the in the path sense like if you're gonna have a career you know there's a couple of route well there's there's maybe one route you try and do the competitive thing you try and mm. sort of do that but it sounds like for you well, that com- competitive stuff didn't really exist for longboarding then and in, in a financial standpoint and um, so I didn't really have to think about it. Uh, the only reason I think I initially started writing some smaller boards is in Newport Beach, you have a long, long stretch of beach d- divided by jetties. And Blackies is like a slopey longboard wave that my dad and all his friends hung out with. And it, I mean, it gets good, but it's more, it's not Echo, Echo Beach, 54th Street, which is the other end of the beach. That's mostly South Swell and it's tight curls. Um, and then going to high school and joining surf team, you had to surf up at 54th Street. And in the afternoons, if I wanted to surf, as I got older, I needed to catch a ride with my friend's mom down there. And so the last thing a mom <laughs> wants to do is let some kid strap a fucking board with wax <laughs> on it to the top of her car. So the only way that I could go and catch a ride with them yeah was I would have to bring a shortboard and I probably owned a couple smaller like 80s style boards or 70s boards but that 
that it really came down to the fact like fuck I want to surf and this like Mike Michael's mom's not gonna fucking let me put this longboard <laughs> on top of her car so I gotta bring <laughs> this board or ride his board yeah. and fit the two shortboards in the car and I reckon there's a, there's, that, there's a lot so, of people recognizing that scenario yeah so that's kind of where that you get more bear that's where that interest came from but I don't know I it seems like I'm talking a lot so if you're listening to this I'm fucking sorry it wasn't my idea to do this <laughs> are you good yeah yeah i'm good yeah i mean that's that's this is generally how it goes yeah yeah this is this is the thing i i have you have you done any of these because i did do a little alex nos no sorry podcast search and could actually find many or any in fact because mm. you nah. know because usually you look on it and it's like everybody's done this one this one this one this one and I don't really like it. I'm. You don't like. Well, I don't know what to say. You don't like. You don't like the whole like. So tell me about your surf history (laughs) or anything. I mean, I'm trying to be nice because you know somebody's. You're trying to make something, and I'm trying to be. You know, it's 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 a weird place to be in because you're trying to be honest, truthful, but at the same time you're. You don't. You could. You could just be Bob Dylan and just make up a bunch of shit go on don't go or don't look <laughs> don't look back don't look now yeah yeah well i mean i did notice that because i gotta be honest like you were quite hard to prepare for for this because you just get asked the same shit every time right you just get basically like so tell me about your style tell me about like and how do you feel about the fact that people criticize your style and yeah i get a lot of that you get a lot of that and that's... then recently it's been like so tell me about how you felt about the clip at kelly's wave like how did you <laughs> <laughs> i did one where they wanted I did one and they never bought it till I'm so glad that it never came out, but it was like it was um it was one like Nathan Webster and Shane Dorian did. They asked me a bunch of stuff, but I, I don't know what whatever mood I was in I was and I, I don't know whatever I said, but they they didn't put it out. They didn't put uh, it out. They, probably for the best, actually. Um and then I did one I tried to do one the other day in New York and this guy was asking me like, what hashtags I'd recommend for kids that wanted to become pro surfers. I'm like, are you fucking serious? I don't, I don't even know. What Why do you think people care though? Cause you do, if you look at the style thing, you do get that every interview and you know what, like you must obviously now we've, we've almost broken the fourth wall there a little bit, you know, you know what I mean? Like what, 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 what do you think? Why do you think people give a shit? I'm not even gonna ask you to, answer the question about your own style but like it comes up a lot and you must be like all right whatever there's that question again like why why do you think people give a shit <laughs> fuck if i know i don't know <laughs> i mean they don't want to hear what i have to th- say about their style and their car and their children and their haircut and their fucking hat and their <laughs> attitude and their political views and their fucking socks and their plaid and you know i don't it's just because i'm uh in some ad or i try to be honest or some shit but it's like yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't go out of my way to tell people they're a kook because I'm not a dick, you know. <laughs> I maybe they're sick of it because they got to look at me and they're totally interested in something completely different, um, and I don't really have to like look at fucking whoever it is, you know what I mean, the, on the TV do, or in a I, movie I, or in I a do, magazine. I do, well, you, there's not really credentials, you know, and, and what I mean by that is there's no credentials to having your opinion anymore where if you were to be interviewed by somebody that didn't do the research nowadays it's totally fine because it's just filler for 
Um, Hashtag content. Content because you surf for vans and vans advertises on their your website and so now they have to interview you and there's not there's not and and that person like they don't have credentials did they study journalism are they a journalist do they care about information um it's really easy to have a i i read or i listen to this patty smith speech where she talks about being in kind of like an infant like stage with technology and I th- and how we haven't really figured out how to process it and use it as a tool, and I think that's dead on in the sense that everyone has the ability to access a wide audience, but they're kind of fumbling around with with it because it's 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 too obtuse at this it's, emotional standpoint. It's, it's so new. It's so ridiculously new for everybody to have this ability to. So it's, it's part Patty Smith and it's part the. I watched the Simpsons episode last night and. <laughs> And yeah, Mr. Burns, um, he gets like accidentally crushed by this fictitious monument in Springfield and it, um, it, it buried him alive with rocks and everyone in the town rejoices because they think he had passed away <laughs> when actuality he sneaks out of the rubble because he's so skinny and um, he wants the town to love him, but he realizes he can't. So he buys up every single publication and media source in Springfield. Simultaneously, Lisa Simpson does the red dress press and she can't be bought. (laughs) And so she has her own media outsource and she kind of goes head to head with um, all all the media outlets that Mr. Burns bought. Um, I forget what they were, but um, the news station that you always see coming up and the, the paper and yeah, yeah. And anyway, to get, Camp, to, get to the Springfield yeah. point of the story is, by the end of it, every single person in town starts their own news source, which, uh, you know, as we know now, kind of dilutes the, the any sort of continuity or credentials in having an opinion. So every single person has a, a paper. And um, I kind of fell asleep before it ended, but <laughs> which is kind of like um like this this conversation <laughs> in a weird way you know because <laughs> we don't really know where it's going and um but uh we can kind of see it's going <laughs> over there yeah i think we should end it and, and i'm not like i think that was i thought it's a great point to end it because uh, how can we top that so there you go that was me and alex what do you reckon? At the time, I did wonder if that one was a bit of a car crash, to be honest, due to the uh, occasional period of awkwardness as Alex grappled with his existential issues about the whole interview process. But in the end, I thought it turned out pretty well. quite liked the fact that we went through that whole breaking the fourth wall thing and got to address the things that obviously concern him about this whole business. Um, I mean, it's one of the questions I get asked a lot, actually. What happens when they go wrong? Are there any that you haven't put out? The answer is yes, there have been a few that have gone tits up. I've not put them out because they're just not very interesting. They're too painful or boring to subject anyone else to. And in the immediate aftermath, I did kind of think this one might be in that camp, but then I listened back to it and it was actually fine. And uh, a pretty revealing insight into Alex's character, which is, after all, the point of this whole interview business. And, you know, for what it's worth, I actually really personally liked Alex and do think his 
total aversion to talking about himself in the interview setting is genuine, even if I did think the Dylan reference was a little bit ill-advised and did perhaps point to a slight gap in his self-awareness. I mean, if you didn't get the reference, don't look back. It's a documentary which follows the 23-year-old Bob Dylan on a tour around the UK at the height of his fame. It's one of the classic rock documentaries. Highly recommend it. Very infamous for what a cantankerous young sod Bob Dylan is in that, especially when he's been interviewed by journalists. Uh, I mean, the thing about that is at the time Bob Dylan was 23, he was the most famous songwriter in the world, was coming off the back of an unparalleled period of world-changing creativity that had seen him write and release four of the greatest records ever made in a three-year period. Whereas Alex Nost gets to, checks notes, fly around the world, paid for by sponsors' vans so they can try and recoup some of the money they've invested in all those surf films they've let him make. I, I don't think the comparison stands really. Um, so I didn't really have a massive amount of sympathy for that one. But you know, he had a lot of interesting things to say about art and creativity in general. And he's definitely walking it like he talks it. So I'll let him off. I mean, after all, if we don't have these ego-driven madmen in the house, well, we really are just another sport, eh? Anyway, onto the housekeeping corner bit. Received a letter from listener Stuart Tilly in Adelaide, Australia. Stuart writes, Hi Matt, I'm a new Looking Sideways listener. Just wanted to drop you a line and say how much I'm enjoying it. Downloaded Steve Douglas a few months ago. Loved it. Listened to Sam Maguire one next, after which the decision to subscribe was an easy one. Um, yeah, at this age, I've heard Steve Douglas, Sam Maguire, David Carson, Jake Black and Danny McCaskill. The main purpose of this email is to let you know how much I'm loving your podcast. To congratulate you on reaching 100 episodes. I'll be diving into the back catalogue. Um, oh, and I love the companion website. The layout and the content are fantastic. Kind regards from Adelaide. Stuart, well, Stuart, firstly, thanks for looking at the website and acknowledging the show notes, which do take a lot of work. And I'm not convinced anyone gives a fuck, but it does appeal to the completest in me. So I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to stick with it. Um, but yeah, thanks for that. Always stoked to get emails and messages from listeners. Get me at podcast at We Are Looking Sideways or over at we look sideways on instagram anyway i'll leave it there for this week um yeah hope you enjoyed this episode with alex not sure it really came that close to answering the the nost conundrum really but you know i think it's all the better for it really so thanks alex thanks demi and chris from the london surf film festival thank you to ben and simon at vans for setting that one up and uh, thanks to you for listening nice one (laughs) 